Welcome back. Happy New Year, everyone. Here we go. Episode 7. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars and why it matters today. And then we'll dive in a little bit into how do I deal in ambiguity. Hope you enjoy and we'll jump right in. So in the last episode, we talked about Napoleon and why he was such a big deal. And in my opinion, I think the real impact of Napoleon has less to do with what happens during his life and more to do what happens after his life. And that is the aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars is so impactful on Europe that it indeed like reverberates in our modern life. What do I mean by that? Well, there's sort of three big things that Napoleon and his wars bring. The first is the French Revolution with all of its chaos and the wars that go on for the span of the, the French Revolution and through the end of Napoleon's time really bring war from this sort of small cottage industry, if you were, to this full nation. So, you know, when the French Revolution began... There's a civil war between the various French fractions and nations around France, specifically monarchies, attack it. And this requires the revolutionary French army to expand and and really harness its whole national power. So this is where we get things like the draft, etc., happen during the French Revolution. Armies expand from relatively small endeavors to these huge things. The second one is Napoleon himself improvises, innovates, etc., using these large armies with new forms of artillery and new infantry tactics and that kind of stuff. Those two things together then sort of populate out into other European militaries, and we get writings of folks like Clausewitz and uh, the Prussians, eventually Germans, who and the Americans and British and others, who study Napoleon and his tactics and assim- essentially adopt his ideas and ways of operating and study how he did it, etc. And things like war colleges and West Point, for example, are created in the aftermath of some of this, uh, of some of the Napoleonic Wars, right? And so the study of war and how it is fought becomes a much deeper thing. And then finally, the third element is the industrialization of Europe. So Europe goes through the the industrial revolution with steam engines, etc., and oil jumps into the forefront eventually, right? And this need for things like coal and steel and oil, etc., drive European nations into competition with each other on the European continent. And then also they expand abroad into these imperial and colonial conquests, and we talked a little bit about that as the European nations go into places like Africa and Asia, eventually this spreads to Japan and the United States undergoes it a little bit as well. And so you have these imperial conquests in order to reap natural resources from the rest of the world that the European nations go through. And these three things together, the larger and larger building of armies, the revolution in, in tactics and study of war, and then finally the industrialization and need for resources brings all of the European nations into competition with each other. And this competition builds steadily through the 1800s, and you have a series of wars like the Franco-Prussian War, for example, um, and then there's the Crimean War and other wars abroad um, that drive 
competition in Europe. In the United States, we have the Civil War, which is similar in the nature in a lot of ways to some of these other wars that happen on the European continent. And this steady buildup of industrialized, nationalized, militarized competition leads us steadily towards World War I. And so if you want to think of it as sort of a, an arc or a graph, right, it's just this steady buildup from the time of Napoleon until the outbreak of World War I of conflict centered around those kind of three ideas. What happens then, obviously, is the cataclysm of World War I, which totally undoes, undoes a lot of European society. The aftermath of World War I, of course, is World War II, which is even more cataclysmic and global, even larger global in scale, right? And it ends in sort of the pinnacle of this industrialized, mechanized war that we've seen since the time of Napoleon. It ends in the pinnacle of the use of the nuclear bomb by the United States, right? So you can think of that sort of as the peak of our graph of industrialized conflict. And why that all buildup matters, right, is obviously since the end of World War II, We've put in place a lot of this, as, as we've talked about before, a lot of this post-World War II world order that's meant to sort of prevent that cataclysm from occurring again, right? And so sort of everybody puts guardrails on the world order in order to prevent this massive national industrial competition from occurring again. Why does that matter today? As we've talked about before, we see nations like Russia and China sort of pushing back against that. And obviously, both Russia and China are nuclear powers. And so that now brings us or moves us back towards, if you want to think of it that way, moves us back towards that pinnacle of destruction that is embodied in that World War II end of, with nuclear weapons, right? So that's why, in my opinion, right, that, that whole buildup and the aftermath is important as we look at it today is because essentially we're, th- we're talking about reversing the scale back to a much more larger, broader, deadlier form of war. So hope that uh, kind of finishes up our discussion of Napoleon and why he's important and what, why does it matter and, uh, and how, does it, how does it affect us today. Hope you enjoy and keep posting me your questions. All right, so our question of the day comes to us from my good friend, A2F2, Aaron French, who, yes, actually spells his last name with two Fs. So his question is, how do you scale in the ambiguous? Put it another way, how do you grow, succeed, excel in ambiguous situations? How do I, how do I lean into things that are ambiguous? And I'll say that, in my, in my life um, and in my life as a fighter pilot, you step into a lot of ambiguous situations and where you don't know like what exactly is required and how the outcome is going to be. And if, if the thing that I'm doing is even going to have a positive impact in the end because there's just a lot of ambiguity in what's happening, right? So how do I grow in ambiguity or how do I do well in ambiguity starts off with I have to control the things that I can control. Um, so, you know, I tell people all the time, nobody really gets mad at you for doing a good job. So whatever it is that you're doing, you know, keep doing that and do it well. Um, and that's the, 
the first place to start is, is do your best in whatever it is that you're doing. And, th and that'll be the thing, thing to do, right? The second thing is if you're working for somebody is, is try your best. And this is often where the ambiguity comes from. But the challenge is to try your best to understand what it is that they want, right? And so one of the ways that you can help understand that is when they give you something to do is go, well, yes, I can do that, but it's going to cost us this other thing, right? Um, and so now, even if they haven't laid out a priority for you, hopefully by saying, I can do this or I can do that, then you can sort of take away some of that ambiguity as to what the most important thing between those two things is, right? Um, the other way you can do that is by prioritizing it yourself, right? And prioritize what you think is the most important thing. Again, doing the best that you can do based on the information that you have at hand. So those are the first two steps. The third thing is really once I've kind of controlled what I can do and then, and then set a priority, the, the third thing is now I have to decide what done looks like, right? And there's a lot of different types of thoughts on how to do this, um, but I have to sort of set a done level to something, right? Because if it's, amb if it's ambiguous, in theory, it could just go on forever, right? It's just this endless game of, of changes. So I have to sort of set, this is what done is. And now based on the other two, I'm doing my best. I've sort of laid out the priorities or I've tried to understand the priorities as best I can. And now I've said, this is what done looks like for this particular thing. And now I can move on into something else. So once I've worked through those first three things, then I can go to the next task or repeat the process as it were. Uh, and often in ambiguous situations, what you find is there's sort of a continuous loop of where I do something to done and then I have to restart with something that's similar or the same and do it again, right? Because the situation is ambiguous. The last thing that you can do to help yourself in an ambiguous situation or grow in ambiguity is what I call like controlling the situation, right? Which is, or imposing my will uh, is another way to put it, right? Which is, hey, I can work in this and, and maybe you have influence over some people around you, right? People that you work with or people that work for you, right? And now you can use your influence in those groups to say, hey, let's work together. If we all control the things that we can control and set our priorities and work to a common level of done, then we can sort of smooth out that, ambiguity between us all right <clears throat> and that's sort of how I drive and and then that's how I drive an organization or a group or whatever towards a less ambiguous situation that allows me to to grow within that right and so how I do that then is now that I got a couple of allies and making this place less ambiguous then I can expand that and expand and expand and eventually it takes down some of the institutional ambiguity in the place that I am so hopefully that works and um, helps you understand how do I how do I function in a very ambiguous situation. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when you're working for somebody, especially who is a very ambiguous person, it is a challenge. Um, and so using those tools can help you to sort of drive towards unambiguous situations. Keep posting your questions up. We'll get to more soon. Thanks. Have a good one. Well, that wraps up episode seven. Hope you enjoyed. 
keep shooting me your questions, etc., and we'll uh, keep working down the list here. Hope you have a great day. Talk to you soon.